All righty there. Welcome to Lavender Hill here on KZUM Lincoln, KZUM HD 89.3 on the FM and online at KZUM.org. Perhaps you're using your handy dandy smarter than a calculator device and listening to the show using your favorite mobile listening app such as TuneIn or Next Radio. Or you could be listening up to two weeks after original broadcast thanks to the KZUM archives that can be found online at kzum.org slash archives. All righty then. That was Christine and the Queens uh, off their self-titled album, No Harm Is Done. And that features uh, Tunji Eeg. I believe I've got that said right. All righty then. So, mm coffee's talking back thank you michelle for that uh and those donut holes but anywho you know i gotta keep the energy up somehow right and why not carb load mm-hmm. okay <laughs> let's see where can we go first to get things going on here for us how about um, let's see here shall we go over to india to get things going why not uh, according to an article on pink news that's pinknews.co.uk And this is dated today, July 17th, 2020, Lily Wakefield writing. Headline reads, India's first trans trainee commercial pilot blocked from flying over hormone treatment. Hmm. Adam Harry, who hopes to become India's first trans commercial pilot, is fighting for justice after being declared unfit to fly because of his medical transition. Harry told the BBC that he has been flying since before coming out and that initially his family was funding his studies at an aviation school in South Africa. However, when he came out as transgender, they cut off contact. Nonetheless, or nevertheless, the 23-year-old managed to get a private pilot's license, allowing him to fly as a hobby. And on returning to India, he received funding from the Kerala state government to continue training and secure his commercial license. But his career aspirations were halted in 2020 when India's Directorate General of Civil Aviation told him that he was unfit to fly. Uh, Why? Because of the hormone treatments. Why else, right? Uh, Harry claims that he was declared unfit after a medical examination because he had started hormone therapy. Knowing that he would need to be taking hormones for the rest of his life, he told the BBC, it was like choosing between my career and gender identity. There are many pilots around the world flying airplanes in their identity. I have a class two medical clearance from South Africa Civil Aviation Authority, and they did not restrict me from taking hormones or undergoing physical transition. Uh, But India is a little bit different, apparently. India's uh, Federal Ministry of Social Justice and Empowerment got in touch with the aviation regulator, accusing it of discrimination. It also ordered the regulator to update its policies to be more inclusive of trans employees. In response, the DGCA said in a press release that hormone therapy would not disqualify Harry from flying and that finally two years later he could reapply for medical clearance as his true self. So there's some move there, perhaps. And while he may be able to once again pursue his dreams, uh, becoming a commercial pilot, Harry still plans to take the DGCA to court to make sure that no other trans folk are treated the same way. 
That's kind of good to know. Good for you there, Harry. You can check out that whole article at pinknews.co.uk. Just look for uh, India and uh, Trans Commercial Pilot, and you'll find that. Uh, lots of other wonderful news articles, if you will. Not necessarily good news all the time, but, you know, some informative articles there on Pink News. So go ahead, check them out. And, you know, some things that I really can't discuss on the air, like something from BBC's Channel 4. Look for that one when you visit the website. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a teaser there for you. All right. Well, there's lots of other stuff going on, and I'm going to see what else we can get ourselves into. Hopefully, no trouble. Uh, well, let's uh, keep with some trans news and some entertainment news at the same time. This is another article from today, Sunday, July 17, 2022. This one from LGBTQNation.com. Daniel Villarreal writing for them. Journalist expertly shoots down cis colleagues begging to deadname Elliot Page. Uh, let's see if I can pronounce this one right here. Uh, Olami Aluren, an anchor for the Hill's Daily News and opinion web series Rising, brilliantly handled two transphobic guests who repeatedly made excuses about why they should be allowed to deadname transgender actor Elliot Page without it being considered an offensive attack. The discussion began by mentioning how right-wing commentators Jordan Peterson and Dave Rubin had received Twitter suspensions for aggressively deadnaming the actor. Their tweets violated the network's policy specifically forbidding misgendering or deadnaming trans people as a form of hate speech or harassment. Aluren's guest, Robbie Suave and uh, Kim Iverson, called the policy crazy and said, quote, I don't understand that, respectively. Uh, in response, Aluren said, why is that any crazier than people changing their names? Very good point there. Uh, Aluren uh, responded back to Suave's uh, comment of, uh, but to not even be allowed to acknowledge that you used to have a different name with, what do you need to be able to acknowledge that for? What are you suffering? Where's your harm? Where's your compassion? Iverson responded back with, that person lived as a different person for a long time, decades, and so to say that suddenly we all have to pretend like those decades didn't exist and that that person wasn't that person for decades? To which Lauren said, why are we pretending like that is what's happening here? Iverson <laughs> uh, replied and maintained the idea of that is what's happening. And no, that's not what ha what's happening. What's happening is that uh, many people out there, not just journalists of various kinds, insist on dead naming trans individuals. Uh, not as a way of, oh, this is who the person was before, but of saying the person that you are talking about should still be that person. I don't think that's, you know, really all that fair, nor does it really apply. Now, granted, most of the trans individuals I know I did not meet until after they began their transition, but I do have some very dear friends who I knew uh, before transition. And the only awkwardness, really, in conversation with talking to somebody else about them is trying to clue them in as to who I'm talking about when it's somebody that they knew years ago and just did not know that they had begun or had finished transition. So it gets a little confusing sometimes, but, you know, just mention it, move on, just kind of, you know, fill in the gap as to who they were 
But here's who they are now, and this is what is important, is who they are now. Now, granted, some celebrities who have transitioned, it is very important to remember who they were before, but you can still do that and respect their current identity and name. All righty, before I dig myself too deep there, let's go ahead and get into some music for you and keep on moving here on Lavender Hill. We are going to hear from Colton Ford with uh, You Ain't Gonna Change because, well, unfortunately, there are some people who aren't. Or their nose in it, as the case may be, when it comes to a Disney film and part of the Marvel superhero universe. Yes, they are calling for a boycott of the new Thor movie, saying that it is over-the-top gay. Uh, the Christian conservative group One Million Moms is calling for a boycott of Disney's latest Marvel film, Thor, Love and Thunder, due to what the conservative organization calls, quote-unquote, blatant LGBTQ content. Uh, according to a uh, petition online, uh, in part from American Family Association, another anti-LGBTQ group, One Million Moms needs our help to make sure as many people as possible are aware that Marvel Studios is pushing the LGBTQ agenda on families in their newest superhero movie. Mm. Yeah, really? Okay. Uh, Natalie Portman, who co-stars in the film alongside Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, may be kind of to blame, if you will, for that because of a tweet that she made, or a statement that she made, pardon me, saying that uh, the uh, new Thor Love and Thunder is so gay. She said that during a Q&A uh, at the uh, film's London premiere. And, well, yeah, I really don't know how gay it is because I haven't seen it myself yet uh, but the ringers Joanna Robinson uh, on her tweet uh, you know, kind of critiquing the film uh, went I'd call it mildly moderately gay gay-ish certainly less gay than Eternals was uh, but uh, Vanity Fair's Chris Murphy described Valkyrie, the, one of the characters there, who is played by openly bisexual actor Tessa Thompson, as intentionally confusing in terms of her sexuality. And, yeah, so there's really not a whole lot to be concerned about there, in my opinion. Of course, not having seen the film, I really can't say. But Ohm, One Million Moms goes on to say, you know, detailing several instances of queer content in the film, which, of course, they find objectionable. Uh, so quoting from them, the alien character named Korg mentions having two dads, and he has uh, hand sex with another member of his species, uh, a la Rocky Horror. Uh, the bisexual goddess Keen Valkyrie kisses another woman's hand to show interest. And as Guardian Kid insists on going by a gender-neutral name, and the gay romantic tension between Thor and Star-Lord is apparent, but played off as a gag. Well, hopefully that wasn't spoilers for anybody. Oh, hey, wait a minute. That's probably all of, you know, like maybe 45 seconds of the film. Uh, so, yeah, really? Get over yourselves there, okay? You know, these are the same people that are trying to combat the, the gay agenda by encouraging you to not watch streaming services and not eat ice cream and... Oh, what was that other thing? I don't know. Oh, oh, and not drink sweet tea because they're all gay. 
Okay, yeah, I, I enjoy my streaming services. I enjoy my ice cream. I enjoy my sweet tea. You know, I'll probably be doing something with all three of them later today because, well, it's hot and muggy out there and need to cool off somehow. But, wow, one million moms, like I said, just trying to remain relevant, considering I believe they have less than 100,000 members. Yeah, they're not really... Of course, the American Family Association is not much better than them. Actually, they could be worse. You know, check out the Southern Poverty Law Center's uh, hate group listing. You'll find at least one of those two on there. All righty. Well, that's it for entertainment news for the now. Although I need to catch up on my uh, Marvel films, I believe. Hmm. Okay, so. Shall we have a little bit of throwback to history 30 years ago and something moving forward with it? Um, a uh, tech CEO is charged with the for the third time with homicide. Uh, new evidence links John Kevin Woodward to the rope used to strangle Lori Houts in 1992. Do you even know what I'm talking about? Chances are some of you don't. Some of you. ReadyText president and CEO John Kevin Woodward has been arrested and charged with the 1992 murder of 25-year-old Laurie Houts. This is the third time Woodward has faced charges in connection to the death of Houts, having been tried for the crime twice already in the late 90s. Both times the jury failed to convict the 58, now 58-year-old. Uh, I know somebody out there is going double jeopardy. Uh, the verdict from the jury left open for further trial. Uh, most recently, though, Woodward was arrested on July 9th at JFK Airport after returning from the Netherlands, where he has lived since his second trial ended in a judge dismissing the case due to insufficient evidence in 96. He will be returned to Santa Clara County in California and arraigned. Uh, according to a release... Uh, from the Santa Clara District Attorney's Office, Houts was found dead in her vehicle in 92. The rope used to strangle her was still around her neck, and there was evidence of a struggle. The DA alleges that Woodward had developed an unrequited romantic attachment to Houts' boyfriend, who was at the time Woodward's roommate, and was open, openly je uh, jealous of her. Woodward's fingerprints were found on the inside of her car, but investigators were unable to show that he was inside the vehicle. In 2021, the Santa Clara County Crime Lab and Mountain View Police Department detectives were able to link Woodward to the rope found around her neck. District Attorney Jeff Rosen said that DNA testing found Woodward's skin cells on the rope. Woodward's lawyers uh, told the New York Times that uh, their client is, quote, anxious to get to the California courts to answer these charges, which he adamantly denies. And the uh, Houts family is hopeful that justice will be served. Her older sister, Susie, said in a statement, we are happy to have a chance at some measure of justice. We've waited patiently for 30 years. So, hmm, could be something happening there. I don't know. And, you know, it's totally up to the courts. But, you know, I figured, you know, stepping back in time 30 years wouldn't hurt to, uh, you know, remember that there are bad people even in our own community, unfortunately. 
All right. Well, you can check out that article. That's from LGBTQNation.com. John Russell writing on Friday, the 15th of July, 2022. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play our bottom of the hour break just a smidgen early and get into some music here for you because, well, I want to make sure I've got some stuff to kind of make sure we get all the way through the show, right? So, well, I guess it's going to be music first because I did not get myself set up here. Eh. Something happened somewhere. But anywho, here we go. We're going to have some uh, Christine Lavin. Let's lighten the mood a little bit, right? All righty. And we are back here on Lavender Hill. And I'm throwing things across the studio. I do apologize, Stefan. I'll get that found and fixed. But yeah, hit a button too hard and something popped. Yeah, you can still hear me, though. That's what matters right now, I guess. All righty. Well, I'm going to go to the Washington Blade right now. Yes, I don't always use just Pink News and LGBTQNation.com. Uh, so over on the Washington Blade, an article from yesterday, Saturday 16th of July, uh, Michael K. Lavers writing for Washington Blade, which is WashingtonBlade.com. The first three-digit hotline in the U.S. for people who are experiencing suicidal thoughts and other mental health crises launched yesterday, Saturday the 16th. 988 will replace the existing National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That uh, original number is still in use, and I will be sharing that with you. Uh, But 988 is available, not quite in every single state, but it is there. Here for our Nebraska friends. Uh, The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration funds 200 call centers around the country. Uh, S-A-M-H-S-A has allocated upwards of $282 million to state, territory, and tribal governments in order to bolster their capacity ahead of the 988 launch. The agency, which is a branch of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, has met with state, territorial, and tribal officials to ensure they smoothly implement 988. Uh, SAMHA, SAMHA, there we go, uh, has also worked with the Centers for Medical, or excuse me, for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, and the Uh, Health Resources and Services Administration to provide necessary financial support. Big thing is, is we don't need this to be a wait on hold type situation. So it's going to be much easier in, uh, well, eventually the entirety of the United States uh, to be able to just dial 988 if you are having a mental health crisis or suicidal thoughts, or if you are the one that stumbles across somebody who is dealing with that situation and needs help now. Uh, Of course, if it is a medical emergency, remember to dial 911 rather than 988. All right. So, like I said, this is definitely something very good to have going on. Uh, Let's see. The National Hotline uh, Suicide Designation Act that uh, former President Donald Trump signed in 2020 paved the way for the creation of the 988 line. The law, according to the Washington Post, mandated the hotline provide specific services to LGBTQ youth. So that's, that's kind of cool there that that's been happening and is continuing to grow. Uh, issues of discrimination, of attacks and abuse are, com- are coming to particular communities more than others. And so it would not surprise us to see cause of stress and distress 
coming from those same communities, according to one of the spokespersons for the new 988 line, uh, with a $7.2 million budget, which has been earmarked for the fiscal year of 2022 to support specially enhancing access to LGBTQ plus youth. So some really great stuff going on there for you. You can check out Washington Blade or the Washington Post or several other uh, news outlets. I don't remember exactly where I first stumbled across it uh, Friday while I was uh, checking my emails at work, but there was stuff there too. So, you know, national and international news coverage on this, something very worthwhile looking into again Washington Blade. Now, I said I was going to give you that uh, current number as well as the 988. So, National Suicide Hotline. Because it is not quite available in every state at the moment, although it is, you know, available 24 hours a day in more than one language, 988. Uh, like I said, it was not fully there for everybody, but apparently it is now, so I do apologize for that. So 988 is the new suicide hotline for prevention and assistance with uh, your mental health needs there. Or you can go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. I need to have a shorter version of that as well, don't they? Anywho, uh, that is there for you if you need it. And, you know, if you do need it, please take advantage of it it's there to help it's not a stigma it's there to help all right along going back into politics here for a little bit uh governor newsom uh slams a fellow governor ron DeSantis, over the don't say gay and compares it to the infamous failed briggs initiative Pardon me, Greg Owen writing for LGBTQNation.com, Friday, July 15th, 2022. California Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, took the opportunity at an awards ceremony Wednesday to slam his anti-LGBTQ Florida counterpart, Ron DeSantis, a Republican, in their continuing stealth bids for uh, the presidential race of 2024. Newsom was in Washington, D.C., accepting the 2022 Frank Newman Award for state innovation from the Education Commission of the States. The governor compared Florida's parental rights and education law, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, uh, or law, pardon me, to California's failed Briggs Initiative in 1978, which would have banned LGBTQ teachers from public school classrooms. Teachers were under assault because, God forbid, teachers were homosexual, Newsom recounted. The so-called Briggs Initiative, a statewide ballot referendum sponsored by conservative Orange County State Senator John Briggs, a Republican, provided that public school teachers and staff be fired if an employee was found to have engaged in either public homosexual activity, holding hands, I guess, or public homosexual conduct, perhaps kissing their partner, uh, defined as the advocating, soliciting, imposing, encouraging, or promoting a private or public homosexual activity directed at or likely to come to the attention of school children and or other employees. That was from the Briggs Act. Oof. Bridge, Briggs Initiative, pardon me. Uh, somehow people were pre-supporting, or presupposing, excuse me, that they were grooming our kids. That was in the 1970s. 
Uh, calling out to Santa spokesperson uh, Christina Pusha, uh, Newsom said, Press secretary for the governor of one of our largest states referred to those who opposed the don't say gay law in Florida as groomers. And I think she was promoted, not fired, he said. Uh, Ronald Reagan himself in 1978 wrote an op-ed saying something that needs to be said today. Reagan said you can't get gay. He used the word homosexual. You can't catch gay like you can the measles. Okay, Reagan's not necessarily the best person to quote there, but I suppose when you're trying to, you know, ally yourself with the presidential run, then invoking one of the more favored, for some reason, presidents of the last 50 years makes sense. 50 years? I think that's about right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Woo. Alrighty. So you can check out more about that by going to lgbtqnation.com and find out a little bit more about what's going on there. You know, uh, Governor Newsom and Governor DeSantis both are eyeing the uh, Oval Office. I know there's another person who's eyeing the Oval Office, too, and she's just a breath away. Annie Boo Boo. Let's just move right along. How about we go ahead and take a little bit of a music break here? And when we come back, I'll have some more news commentary for you here on Lavender Hill. Eli Lieb and Steve Grand with a look away. All righty. Well, I don't look away. We've still got a couple of things to take care of here on uh, KZM's Lavender Hill. All righty. Well, you knew I was going to be coming up with this eventually today because it's been one of the hot topics of the last month and a half Actually, more because of the leaked information from SCOTUS a few months ago. But according to an article on the Washington Blade, yes, going back to them, uh, published on Friday, July 15th, 2022, Josh Albertus, pardon me, writing for them, Democratic leaders urged to restrict Supreme Court jurisdiction over marriage and abortion. Um... In a letter to Democratic leaders on Capitol Hill, 10 Democratic members of the U.S. House of Representatives asked for support in establishing and protecting nationwide privacy rights that include abortion and marriage equality. The letter addressed to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat of California, and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York, calls on party leaders to support a push to restrict the U.S. Supreme Court's jurisdiction over matters and decisions regarding certain privacy-related rights. To quote from the letter, we write to urge your support for restricting the Supreme Court's appellate jurisdiction in the areas of abortion, marriage equality, non-procreative intimacy, and contraception, according to the members of Congress in their letter. In doing so, we can ensure that as Congress takes legislative action to codify each of these fundamental rights, a radical, restless, and newly constituted majority on the court cannot further undermine the protections we would enact. So, yeah, although Congress cannot remove the Supreme Court from cases falling under its original jurisdiction, Article 3 of the Constitution does grant Congress the power to strip the court's jurisdiction in appellate cases. Appellate jurisdiction pertains to a court hearing, reversing, or amending the lower court's previous decision on a case. The signatories of the letter to Democratic leadership pointed to instances in which the Supreme Court itself has reaffirmed such congressional power in the past. Most recently, in Patrick v. Zink, 
2018, Justice Thomas hmm, himself uh, held for the court that, quote, when Congress strips federal courts of jurisdiction, it exercises a valid legislative power no less than when it lays taxes, coins, money, declares war, or invokes any other power that the Constitution grants it. Indeed, this country has held that Congress generally does not violate Article 3 when it strips federal jurisdiction over a class of cases. And that was from, you know, Justice Thomas himself there. The letter comes amid a new era of heightened tension between the Supreme Court and a number of members of Congress who have accused it of threatening the rights of certain groups of Americans after ruling on several controversial cases headed or heard, excuse me, during its latest term. Uh, well, in related news, I'll let you read the whole article if you want to. In related news, a petition calling for Supreme Court's Clarence Thomas to be impeached tops one million signatures. I'm not sure how much an online uh, petition will have any sway over things, and this is... Uh, a little outdated here. Amelia Hansford writing for pinknews.co.uk. This is from July 4th, so it's gone a little bit further than a million. Uh, but the advocacy group Move On, which many of you may be familiar with, created an online petition earlier in the year after Thomas's wife, Jenny, had reportedly pressured members who were associated with Donald Trump's presidency to overturn the 2020 election results. Yes, implicating her in the January 6th uh, insurrection, I suppose. Um, after calls for uh, Justice Thomas to recuse himself from cases related to the uh, January 6th insurrection on the U.S. Capitol uh, had fallen on deaf ears, the petition was created online claiming, quote, he has shown he cannot be an impartial justice and is more concerned with, with covering up his wife's coup attempts. Well, now, after the Supreme Court voted to overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade court ruling that ratified abortion as a basic human right across the U.S., the petition has definitely had a throw, made it clear what's next, according to the petition. And what is next, according to that petition, is to overturn high court rulings that establish game rights and contraception rights. As reported by Newsweek, uh, signatures have risen in the hundreds of thousands since the court's decision and is expected to continue rising, and several notes from those who signed it have deplored Thomas's actions and called for his impeachment. You know, impeaching a, uh, a member of the Supreme Court is not the easiest thing in the world to do. It's easier to impeach a president by far than it is a Supreme Court justice. It's only uh, been done once, if I remember correctly, in U.S. history. But that doesn't mean it won't be happening again. You know, we really do need to make some changes, but it's not my place to make those changes. It's just my place to encourage people to go out and vote about it. Or you can go to pinknews.co or any a number of other online and print resources for information on what's going on in that regard. All righty, well... What else do I have for us here? What else do I have for us here? Uh, shall we, you know, jump across uh, the ocean to uh, the EU? Not to England, but to the EU. As they sue Hungary 
over LGBTQ intersex rights violations. Uh, this is according to an article on the Washington Blade again from Friday, July 15, 2022. Brody Levesque writing, I hope I got his name right there or her name. Uh, in two separate filings made on Friday with the Court of Justice, the European Commission sued Hungary over a Hungarian law which dis discriminates against people on the basis of their sexual orientation and gender identity. The EU Commission also sued the government of Hungary's nationalist Prime Minister Viktor Orban for breaching EU telecoms rules with the Hungarian Media Council's refusal to renew the license of Club Radio a broadcaster critical of Orban's government. The Hungarian law, in particular, singles out and targets LGBTQ and intersex content that, quote, promotes or portrays what it refers to as quotients from self-identity corresponding to sex at birth, sex change, or homosexuality for individuals under 18. The commission noted in a press relief, the, uh, release, pardon me, the referral to court is the next step of the infringement procedure launched by the Commission on July 15, 2021, a year ago, against Hungary with a letter of formal notice. So this has been going on for about a year now. And uh, the EU is continuing. Orban and his government. Find out more by visiting uh, uh, WashingtonBlade.com and seeing what they may have in store for you there. And, uh, sorry, I got a little distracted there. Deb was looking for her favorite chair, and it was in a really weird place. <laughs> so, hey, live radio, I get easily distracted sometimes. Woo! Yeah, I have ADHD. You want to make something? Oh, pretty. Okay. Anywho, uh, let's move on to something else here for you here as we get ready to wrap things up on uh, Lavender Hill. Going to keep us some international news for you here, since that seems to be where we're at. Uh, the Ukraine is in the news again. Our Ukraine's uh, oldest human rights group is fighting for LGBTQ equality. Another article from Friday, July 15th. This one from LGBTQNation.com. Sarah Ashton Cirillo writing. I hope I did say your last name correctly. Uh, so let's see here. The, uh, their lineage dates back to the days of the Soviet Union, operating under the name Memorial. It was the first human rights group recognized by the USSR. Now more than 30 years and one name change later, uh, Kharkiv Human Rights Protection Group, or the KHPG, continues its mission of protecting freedom, the disenfranchised, and minority groups throughout Ukraine. While U Ukrainian forces have been battling Russian fascism, uh, some tongue twisters here today. Let me start that one over again. While Ukrainian forces have been battling Russian fascism for almost a decade, KHPG's responsibilities have rapidly evolved since February 24th, when Russia's full-scale invasion started and the nation's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, declared martial law. A portfolio of work that includes pushing freedom of speech claims, fighting government discrimination, and lobbying for laws that increase liberty for all Ukrainians has been expanded to include investigating war crimes carried out by the marauding, marauding Russian army. Yeah, Deb, sorry I didn't get that all there for you, but I'll work on that here during the, uh, the, uh, the music that I play at the end of the show so you can relax. If you want to get started, go ahead. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, wait, I've got Deb right behind me. What's that? Work on your pronunciation. 
Oh, yeah. Hey, tongue twisters a little bit here and there. It's like, hey, I've been jumping all over the globe today. So let's get back to this here for a little bit. Uh, near the beginning of a uh, conversation that uh, uh, LGBTQNation.com had with uh, the press director for K- uh, KHPG, uh, Dennis Volka, Voloka, mm. uh, uh Voloka brought up an issue previously reported by LGBTQ Nation that KPHG is currently focused on in uh, the Mariupol area. Investigators working with KPHG found that the marauding forces used huntless, hitless, if you will, to subjugate, capture, and in some cases murder Ukrainians who were deemed high-value enemies. When asked if that included LGBT community members, uh, Voloka refused to confirm exactly who was on the list, rightfully so, but did say it wouldn't be a surprise if they included LGBTQ people who were out and about, if you will. All righty, well, you can go ahead and check that out and, you know, keep following what's going on in Ukraine because, you know, it's something that a lot of people are not really paying attention to here in the U.S. because we've got our own concerns, of course, but, you know, check out, see what's going on. And see what's going on by sticking around here for the Women's Show on KZUM and all the other wonderful programming. I'm going to go ahead and get things wrapped up here for you. going to play Anomaly Brennett to send us out. Uh, and this is uh, Bleecker Street, uh, her version, which was uh, put out as a, memor- as a uh, memory of the Pulse nightclub massacre, if you will. So we are going to go with that to wrap things up. So see you next week. <laughs>